Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 1st of March. A new month, a new me. No, still same old prick as always. But FA Cup action last night, and we had some decent games. We had some decent games. Stoke nil, Brighton won. This was not one of the decent games, but it wasn't bad. Evan Ferguson with the only goal of the game. Uh, after great work by Matoma, later on the plate from and Ferguson finished from close range. Brighton march on. Leicester City won. Blackburn Rovers two. This will surely signal the end of Brendan Rodgers, be it now or be it in the summer. His tenure at the club has to come to an end. These players are not playing for him and he has wasted so much money on mediocrity. He really, really has. Uh, I will hold my hands up here. I asked the question a few months ago, how can Daniel Iverson be worse than Danny Ward? And I got my answer last night in the form of Blackburn's first goal. Dolan picks the ball up, drives forward, shoots from probably 22 yards out, and the Iverson seemed to try and save it with his head. 
the ball ended up very, very central against the goalkeeper who did dive for it. There was, you know, no blocked line of vision. He had a great view of things and he, he just made an absolute hames of things. Really, really poor goalkeeping, but great for Dolan to get a goal. Good story about him on the BBC website yesterday. Um, Samodic made it two on 52. And this is some of the more pathetic defending you will ever see. And this is where Rodgers has failed at Leicester. Forgetting the enormous bottle jobs that cost them two top four finishes. Defensively, they are an absolute shambles. And this is his defense now. This isn't the defense he inherited from Lucien Favre that was actually quite good. This is all him. This is all his work. And Simonich just sort of bumbles his way through between like three Leicester defenders to finish past Iverson. Um, or Everson. Really, really poor defensive work. Really, really poor defensive work. Why Daniel Amarty was in the team, I have no idea. The Daniel Amarty as a centre back experiment failed years ago. And Rogers still persists with it. Um, that, that being said, he doesn't really have any decent options because he single-handedly ruined Soyuncu. It's fairly clear that Harry Souter is not really up to snuff. And I was thinking about it last night. He signed Harry Souter. He also signed Yannick Vestergaard, you'll remember. Um, and when it became very clear to everybody that Vestergaard was a disaster. He tried to blame others. And then he just lumped on and signed the same centre-back again. Someone who's big, dominant in the air, really, really slow. Not good in 1v1 situations. This is just a profile of centre-back that Brendan wants at his club. Uh Kelechi Iheanacho did get one back for Leicester. And they did huff and puff and threaten to... Maybe snatch a draw, but it would have been undeserved. And out they go. Fulham 2, Leeds 0. It's rare you see a team win 2-0 with two absolute worldies. Uh, João Polinia's goal on 21 minutes is sensational. He wins the ball back in midfield. And without taking a second touch to steady himself or get the ball under control, he shoots first time and bends and dips the perfect shot over Ilan Melier, round Ilan Melier, and into the top corner. Absolutely phenomenal goal. Manor Solomon made it two on 56 minutes, and there's no real reason to describe this goal. Just go and look at the goal he scored against Wolves. It's exactly the same finish, from exactly the same spot, at exactly the same height, with exactly the same bend. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And he has been tremendous since coming back from injury, which is a huge, huge boost for less, uh, for, for Fulham to get what's basically another new signing in. Really, really impressive. Todd Sasalukic had a good game in midfield. Um, yes, his first start next to Paulinho. I thought that worked well. Disappointing for Leeds, but I think they've got bigger things to focus on. Uh, Bristol nil. Manchester City three. Uh, Phil Foden put United up, put United, put City one up on seven minutes. It's a tap in. It's that City goal where they work it down the right into the half space, into the channel between fullback and centre back to the overlapper who crossed it across to face a goal for someone to tap it in. City have scored that goal probably a hundred times since Guardiola took over. Arsenal scored the same goal all the time. It's just one of their set patterns. Uh, it works very effectively. Um, from there, City were always in control and looked like they could score a handful more. But Bristol were denied a pretty stonewall penalty. It was a pretty stonewall penalty. And uh, it likely doesn't change the outcome, but it certainly would have given them a boost. Foden made a two on 74, another nice left-footed finish. And then Kevin De Bruyne wrapped it up on 81. Um, Thought Alex Scott showed well. Thought Young Bell, uh, Sam Bell, playing on the left, did pretty well as well. So Bristol, despite the 
nature of the defeat, the 3-0, I think they did themselves proud. I do. I think they did themselves proud last night. Uh, I was going to see Calvin Phillips playing well. Good to see Calvin Phillips playing. He played well as well. And this team last night from City actually made sense. It was still that very arrogant 3-2-4-1 shape, but they were able to drop into a proper 4-3-3 off the ball, and they looked a lot more cohesive as a team. So that was last night. Tonight we also have four games. Again, 7.15, 7.30, 7.45, and 7.55. Uh, first up, we have Southampton at home to Grimsby. Saints, as we know, are bottom of the Premier League. But they're having a cup run, and maybe that can spur them on to find a bit of league form. They knocked out Crystal Palace in the third round, a 2-1 away win. They knocked out Blackpool in the fourth round, a 2-1 home win. And now they face Grimsby. And for Grimsby, this is a huge opportunity, obviously. They are currently in League 2. I think they sit 19th at the moment. Uh, in the first round, they beat Plymouth 5-1, which was a big shock because Plymouth are having a really good season and Grimsby are a bit, well, they're a bit grim. Uh, in the second round, they knocked out Cambridge 2-1. In the third round, they knocked out Burton Albion 1-0. Then they drew Luton, Championship Luton, in the fourth round. 2-2 draw away, really impressive. And then a 3-0 win at home. So that was a big upset. So they'll go to St. Mary's tonight with no real fear. Anything's a, a bonus for them at this point. For a League 2 team to get to this stage in the competition is impressive. Where actually are they in the in League 2 at the moment? Oh, they're up to 16th. They are up to 16th. Um had a decent little run of late, you know, three games without defeat, a win and two draws, which considering if we go back to mid-October, they've only actually won four league games. Uh, they've lost nine and drawn four. So that hasn't been good. But uh, the cup run is sustaining them. And, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll fancy an upset tonight because Saints are in, they're in trouble themselves. Uh, we'll move on to Burnley versus Fleetwood Town. So Burnley obviously running away with the championship. Uh, they went to Bournemouth in round three and knocked them out. Good win over Premier League opposition. Then they drew Ipswich, who are going very well. Obviously in League One. Nil-nil draw away, but a 2-1 win at home to send them through a late goal. Two goals from Nathan Tellett in that one. One in the second minute, one in the 94th minute. Um, that game had a mental start. Tellett scored on two. Hurst equalized on three. And it looked like it was going to be a stalemate then for the rest of the game. But Tellett with the late winner to send them on to the next round to take on Fleetwood. Now, Fleetwood are not having quite as good a season. They're in League One. They're 17th. Shouldn't, shouldn't be at risk of relegation. I, I may well be off with that. They may have jumped up because they've won four of their last five in the league. So their league position might have changed. Um, they were 17th the last time I wrote that down, which was for the last round. Um, yeah, having had a really bad run. Well, a really bad season, if we're being honest. In their first seven games, they won one, lost one, and drew five, which isn't bad. Then they won one and drew one. Then they lost one. Then they won one. They drew one. They lost two. They drew one. They won one. They drew two. They lost one. They drew one. They won one. They lost two. They won one, and then they lost four. But now they're four wins and five, which is a really good turnaround. And uh, they're not going to get promoted this season or anything like that. But this cup run is uh, is something for them to, you know, to remember this season by. In round one, they knocked out Oxford City, not to be confused with Oxford United. Oxford City are a non-league team. Um, beat them 3-1. 
Then they beat Ebb's Fleet United 1-0 away from home. Then they got a good win away to QPR, sorry, at home to QPR, league above them, 2-1. Draw with Sheffield Wednesday, followed by a home 1-0 win over Sheffield Wednesday is what put them at this stage. Uh, Next game up then is Manchester United, currently third in the Premier League, just won the League Cup, obviously. Uh, They beat Everton. And then Reading, do they just, is it contractually obliged that they just get really easy draws in these competitions this season to make them feel better about themselves? Because that's laughable. When you combine that with the League Cup run and the fact that West Ham are where they are in the league, you'd like to see them play at least one good team if they're going to win a cup double. Um, but yeah, yeah, United beat Everton, beat Reading. They take on West Ham who got a massive win at the weekend over Forest. Uh, that was their second win in five games. The previous one was over Everton. And in truth, it was their second win since the 24th of October when they beat Bournemouth. The last good results that ever, that last good win that West Ham had was Fulham at home on the 9th of October. West Ham have only won six Premier League games all season. They beat a bad Villa, a bad Wolves, a bad Bournemouth, a bad Everton and a bad Forest. The only good win they've got this season was Fulham. Uh, They did get draws against Tottenham, against Newcastle and against Chelsea. So they can take a bit of heart from those. Though, you know, Chelsea at the moment, a little bit garbage. Newcastle at the moment struggling for goals. So wouldn't put too much stock in that, but. Nice of them to show up. We'll see how they do uh, against Brighton at the weekend. Uh, in the Cup, they knocked out Brentford, which was a good result, to be fair, to go to the GTEC Community Stadium and win 1-0 was a good result. And then they beat Derby, League One opposition, in the last round. Jared Bowen and Mikel Antonio in that one. You would expect United to come through uh, and West Ham not really to cause them all that many problems. Uh, next up then, the final game is Sheffield United at home to Tottenham. Sheffield United having a good season in the championship, currently second. Um, they have had a little bit of a dip of late, but they did get a 1-0 win over Watford last time out. Um, they beat Millwall 2-0 in the third round. Then they drew, drew Wrexham in the fourth round. Uh, 3-3 draw away. It looked like they were going out. But John Egan scored a last gasp goal to send it to a replay. And then they successfully dismissed the non-league opposition 3-1 in the second game. So um, they'll take on Tottenham. Tottenham are fourth in the Premier League. Tottenham beat Portsmouth 1-0 and then Preston North End 3-0 to secure their spot in this round. So I think it's fair to say... Southampton, Burnley, Manchester United and Spurs are the teams that you would favour going into tonight's games. But I wouldn't put it past somebody to sneak an upset. We got one upset last night, which was Blackburn knocking out Leicester. I wonder will we get one tonight. If I had to pick one, I probably would say Sheffield United versus Spurs. Just because Sheffield United are at home. And they're having a good season. Now, Spurs are a lot better than than Sheffield United. should win the game, but you just don't know how these things work out. Spurs are, are struggling for goals. They're not great defensively. And if Sheffield United catch them on the right at the right time, it, it could well go Sheffield United's way. Uh, we do also have Premier League games tonight. Uh, Everton will take on Arsenal at the Emirates. Arsenal will be heavy favourites for this one. I would be surprised if you can actually find anybody offering even decent odds on this game. Um, Arsenal top of the league. They've won back-to-back games now after quite a bad hiccup. Everton did beat them only a couple of weeks ago. I think that motivates Arsenal to go out and smash them tonight. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up in a hammering. I really wouldn't. 
the other game then is Liverpool at home to Wolves. Uh, I don't really know what to expect from this game, to be completely honest. Uh, these games are from when the Queen passed away. They're only getting to play them now, but these are those games. Um, I don't really know what to expect of Liverpool versus Wolves. Liverpool are awful at the moment, but Wolves aren't particularly good either. So this could go either way. If Liverpool turn up and play well, they should win. And they should win comfortably. If Liverpool turn up and play the way they have in recent weeks, they could still win if Wolves don't turn up. But if Wolves turn up and play the way they did at Molyneux and Liverpool don't turn up at all, then it probably ends in an away win. Uh, but we're going to be confident. We're going to hope for a Liverpool win because, by God, it's needed. Uh, at that, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll figure out what we're going to talk about. See you then. Right, welcome back. So, uh, we talk a lot about who the best player in each team is. We talk a lot about football of the year. But it rarely gets talked about who the worst player in each Premier League team is. And if you think this is an opportunity for me to kick some Wilder down, you're absolutely right. Um, you're only as good as your weakest link, is something a very wise man once said. And... Last season was a prime example of that, where the team which was the better 11 overall finished second in the Premier League because their weakest link was weaker than the team that won the league. So let's go through all 20 Premier League teams and figure out who the weakest link is. So we'll start with Arsenal. Now, I think it's Granit Xhaka. Now, I know he's had a good season, but... We have to factor in his entire career at Arsenal. This is now year seven, I believe. And he has a habit of letting them down when it matters. Now, he hasn't thus far. But with Jacket, it always feels like it's only a couple of, you know, a couple of moves away from something stupid happening. He has dipped in form undeniably. He did have a very good. August through to the World Cup. But since the World Cup, he hasn't quite been moving the same way, operating the same way. He doesn't seem to have that same burst. He looks tired. And there's been a couple of moments where players have just run by him and you could see, you could almost see the wheels churning in his head of, should I just hack him down? And he's so far, he's held himself back. But with Granite Xhaka, I always just think the other shoe's about to drop. So Xhaka, for me, is Arsenal's weakest link. On to City. Now, the more obvious answer here is Jack Grealish. But Jack Grealish isn't an every-game starter for City. And with Phil Foden now recapturing form, Jack Grealish should, shouldn't be starting for Manchester City. So who is it then otherwise? Well, it could be Ederson, who is one of he's a he's a talented goalkeeper. He's a a good shot stopper. He's obviously exceptionally good with the ball at his feet, but he does struggle in the air, and he can be a little bit rash, and he can be a little bit lax, and he does have judgment issues in defence. Walker's pretty solid. Diaz is good. Laporte is good. The left-back situation is a bit weird. They let Canseo go. The only other player at the club who can play left-back at a competent level is Nathan Aki. And I like Aki. He's 6 or 7 out of 10 pretty much every game. But I don't think he's the weakest link. The midfield is is always good. The wide options are pretty good. I think if it comes down to it, it's either the goalkeeper or the fullbacks. 
It's probably the goalkeeper. It probably is the goalkeeper. It probably is Ederson's lack of judgment, the poor decision-making. That's probably where City's Achilles heel lies. If we're being honest, in big games, it's Pep because he overthinks things too much. He tries to be a little bit too clever. But on a week-to-week basis, we'll go with Ederson. Uh, Manchester United, they've managed to eradicate many of their weakest links. But right now, it's the, it's their number nine position. It's Veghorst. Like, he's a good player. He is. And he works selflessly for the team. But you still need your number nine to score goals in the Premier League, and he's not going to do that for you on a regular basis for a team like that. If he was playing for a Brighton, I think he gets you 15 goals a season because the service is built to get the most out of him. He is part of the service at Manchester United, and... While it's working right now, without question, I do think there'll come a time where they need him to get a goal and he'll let them down. Uh, for Spurs, it's Eric Dyer and it's not even, well, oh, it's not even close. It is close because Hugo Lloris is also a major weak link. Do you know what? It probably, no, it's Dyer. It is Dyer because if you've got a really strong defense, you can protect your goalkeeper and Spurs defense suffers because of Eric Dyer. So we'll go with him. For the tune, I mean, there's a few options here. I think I'd go Sean Longstaff. I think I'd go that third midfield role. Willock's good but inconsistent. And Longstaff, just he's a bit meh. Like, with Newcastle, they all work very hard and they're grafters and all the rest. But you need a little bit of something more. And I think he's probably the weakest link there. Fulham, this is going to be really harsh because he's had a very good season, but it's Tim Ream. It is Tim Ream. It could be the right back position either. You could, do you know what? We'll, we'll give, Ream has had a really good season. They've struggled at right back this year, though Kenny Tete has been really good for the last couple of months. We'll go right back, but individually it's Tim Ream. Liverpool, it's Jordan Henderson. He's the worst player at the worst senior player at the club by a considerable margin. There's no player at that club who's worse defensively while also been worse technically. He doesn't offer anything anymore. He used to offer a great engine. He could run for days. Now he can't and doesn't want to. He's lazy in his defensive work. He's a coward on the ball. He's terrified of giving the ball away. Ruins attack after attack, slowing things down so that he can give a simple pass where there's easy progressive passes on the table that can keep Liverpool moving. He doesn't take them. There was two prime examples at the weekend. Harvey Elliott played a give and go with him in the second half. Over on the right-hand side touchline. Elliot picks the ball up, gives it to Henderson, runs behind the defender. All Henderson needs to do is shift it five yards directly left of where he receives it. There's no technique required here at all. Touch and pass it left. And he doesn't. Elliot makes the run into big, big vat of space. And Henderson just turns and goes the other way and slows everything down to a crawl. And ruins the momentum of an attack. Elliot, who's 20, throws his arms up in the air because he just can't believe that his captain can't play that simple ball. In the first half, Joe Matip played the ball to Henderson. There's nobody behind him, no one to his left. Simple touch, turn and move into space. But so fearful is he of losing possession. So fearful is he of trusting his own technical ability and so unaware is he of his surroundings that he humps it back at Matip and puts Matip under pressure which leads to a Crystal Palace chance a Palace chance that Matip was blamed for but it came from Henderson having so little awareness and so little technical ability And his defensive work is farcical. 
I mean, he's cost Liverpool by himself easily double figures goals this season. Easily. From a lack of awareness and a lack of willingness to do his job. Like, you look at the United game away. Both those goals come from him. The first one, the ball drops to him on the end. It's probably 10 yards from the United box. He just lumps it up in the air for no reason. The ball lands to Sancho. Henderson's job there is to either make a tackle or foul him, but don't let him run. And he pulls out of the tackle. Sancho goes up the field, United score. All comes from Henderson's error. Two errors. One humping the ball up in the air and the other one just being scared to make a tackle. And the second one, ball is played to him in space, in the middle of the pitch, horrendous first touch, gives it to United player, and again, his job is foul him, and he just won't do it. The Real Madrid first goal the other night, he's marking Vinicius, he's marking Vinicius, he's marking Vinicius, Vinicius lays the ball off, he's still marking Vinicius, Vinicius gets the ball back. He's still marking him. Vinicius turns one way. Henderson runs away. Oh, he was trying to block the two, the one, two with Benzema. Watch Benzema. When he gives that ball to Vinicius, he never thinks he's getting the ball back. And if Henderson stays with Vinicius, there is no possible ball back to Benzema because Vinicius turns away from Benzema. All Henderson needs to do is stay with him. Runs away. I could go through every Liverpool goal this season and I guarantee I would find at least 10 that stem from him not doing his job. He is by far Liverpool's weakest link, as he was last year, as he was the year before, and as he has been for much of his Liverpool career. He's been an average player for his entire career. He had a couple of good stretches of form. Second half of 13-14, he was really good. Credit to him. First half of 16-17, he was really good. And the middle part of 1920, that title-winning season, he had a bad first four months, a good middle four months. Then he got injured. Then COVID hit. Then he came back. He got injured again. He was done. Player of the year, apparently. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. He's had four good, three, three good half seasons, and the 14-15 season was probably his best year. And Liverpool finished in mid-table and got pumped by Stoke. So when he's setting the standards, that's the standard. But when he got injured in 15-16, Liverpool went on a really good run and reached the UEFA, uh, the Europa League final. When he got injured in 16-17, Liverpool went on a really good run and climbed into the top four. When he got injured in 2021, Liverpool went on a really good run and climb back into the top four, whereas with him and the team, they were trundling to mid-table finish. That's just what he is. He's an average player who's been carried by... He was an average player at his best. But, you see, people say... People like to make excuses for him, and they say, oh, well, you know, his legs are gone, so he's getting old. Right, well... That's fair enough, but Tony Cruz is older than him and is still a great player. Because when great players lose their legs, they're still great technical players. So they're still very good players overall. But he is an awful player without his legs, which tells you he was never very good to begin with. Yes, he pings the odd nice pass when he's got loads of time and space and no one around him and no challenges coming in. You find me the one pass he's played under pressure in the last six years. That's impressive. And not just back to center back. He's the weakest link for Brighton and Hove Albion. It is his busy mate, Adam Lalana, an empty shirt, an absolute empty shirt. All style, zero substance. For Brentford, I think it's Brian and Bomo, and that's weird because he's a very good player, and I really like him, 
he's not the worst player, but I think he's the weakest link because he is the one who quite often is on the end of the passes from Ivan Tony and ends up in really good goal scoring situations and ends up missing them. For Chelsea, it is their number nine situation as things currently stand. Because Kai Havertz is in really poor form, because Brohi is injured, because Aubameyang has had a falling out with Potter, and because David Datrofafana is only, you know, new in the land, it's just not a good situation. Uh, the other option here, obviously, is Kepa, but he, to be fair, has had a good season. For Aston Villa, it is and has been for many years Tyron Mings. Um, Tyron Mings is the spoofer's idea of what a good defender is. He's big, he's strong, he's aggressive, he's quick, but he's brainless. And that is why he is the weakest link there. At Crystal Palace, it is their right-back situation, whether it's Klein or Ward. That's the one area of their defence that lets them down. At Nottingham Forest, it was Steve Cook. He's now out of the team. I would suggest it's probably... It's probably their number nine. Like, one he just hasn't hit this season for a couple of different reasons. I think settling in is, is obviously a big factor. But I think it's the number nine situation. They just lack a consistent threat in that role. Uh, for Leicester, it's the centre-backs. But it's also the goalkeeper. And given he's been the worst keeper in the league this season, we'll go with Danny Ward, who throws in goals left and right. And as we saw last night, his backup is no great shakes. Um, for Wolves, it's their number nine. Whoever it is, it's not good enough. Now, when Sasa gets fit, he might solve that problem for them. But until then, that's the issue. West Ham, I think it's Thomas Suchek. He just looks like a corpse in midfield these days. So, yeah, I'll go with Thomas Suchek. Uh, for Leeds, it's Luke Ayling at the moment. It's previously been Liam Cooper. Before that, it was Luke Ayling. It's too many championship players uh, spoiling the mix. For Everton, it's Connor Cody. He's never been a particularly good defender, and playing him in a two is asking for trouble. He was horrendous against Villa for the Buendia goal. He was horrendous against Liverpool for the Gakpo goal. He does things that people think are impressive, and he can ping a pass. And he's Jamie Carragher's bezzy mate. But no, he's not a good defender. He is their weakest link. For Bournemouth, it's generally all about that defensive area. But I'll highlight the right-back situation because I just think it's been a mess all year. And for Southampton, recently it's been Jan Bednarak. Overall, I would say, though, the lack of a nine has really hurt them this season. Because they've played a lot of good football and created a lot of chances. But the inability to put those chances into the back of the net is probably their biggest issue. So, yeah, that's that. And, yes, that was just an exercise so I could take a shot at somebody. But this is my podcast, so I'll do what I want. Uh, we've got a little bit of news, and then we'll wrap up with the gossip. Uh, we start with sad news. Juice Fontaine, who holds the record for the most goals scored at a single World Cup, has died at the age of 89. Fontaine scored 13 goals in six matches for France at the 1958 World Cup in Sweden, where they finished third. He is fourth all-time, sorry, joint fourth all-time on the all-time World Cup goal scorers list alongside Lionel Messi. Uh, so that's obviously sad news. But 89, to be fair, he had, he had a hell of an innings. Um, played for Stade de Reims for Quite a long time. Where else did he spend time in his career? USM Casablanca? No idea. I've genuinely never heard of that club before. He was born in Morocco. He was born in Marrakesh when Morocco was under French rules. That's obviously 
that obviously does make a lot more sense that he would play for a team in Morocco. But they're not a team that I'm familiar with. Uh, he moved to France in 1953, played for Nice for uh, three years, and then went to Reims in 1956 and played there for six years. He retired at the age of 29 uh, due to injury. Uh, 28 years and 11 months, a recurring injury. Uh, 21 games for France, 30 goals. Went on to manage France, Luchon, PSG, Toulouse and Morocco. He was a goal-scoring machine before he got hurt. 23 and 16, 10 and 17, 22 and 22, 20 and 31, 22 and 32, 9 in 21s, not a great season, obviously. Uh, 31 and 32, 39 and 32, 36 and 42, 30 and 30. And then he got injured, and that's where things started to fall apart. The last two seasons of his career, pretty much wrecked by injury, but played 16 games, scored nine goals. So he was still able to, to bang them in. Uh, at that World Cup, he got a hat-trick against Paraguay, two against Yugoslavia, one against Scotland, two against Northern Ireland, one against Brazil, and four against West Germany. It's a fair effort. That's a fair effort for one World Cup. Ivan Tony has accepted breaking FA betting rules. Ivan, so Ivan Tony has pled guilty to um, some but not all of the uh, breaches of the FA rules. He is contesting some of the rules, but he has accepted uh, most thereof. He is facing a lengthy ban. That's just tough because he's playing the best football of his career. Kieran Trippier got 10 weeks for giving out information for others to bet on. Joey Barton got 18 months for... Placing 1,260 football-related bets over a 10-year period. It was reduced to 13 months, but it ended his career. You would hope that if Tony gets banned, like if they ban him now, just ban him now till the end of the season. Or, you know, ban him till October or something. Don't ban him for a year. Don't, don't ruin the lad's career. Like, Rio Ferdinand ran away on a drugs test and only got banned for a couple of months. You know, Cantona assaulted somebody in the crowd and only got banned for a couple of months. Now, United fans are whinge and moan and say, oh, he was banned from February to October. No, he wasn't. The summer was three months of that. Same thing with Rio. Don't don't punish this lad. Don't try and make an example of him. Like if he's owned up to it, if he's helped the investigation, just let the lad alone. Give him ban him till October. Some will take care of most of it. He'll be fine. Brentford won't be too hurt. And if a club wants to buy him in the summer, they can buy him in the summer. Um, Paul Pogba made his long-awaited return. Three hundred and fifteen days. Since uh, strolling off in Manchester United's 4-0 defeat at Anfield in April of last year when he suffered a calf injury. He never played for United again, got a knee injury in the summer and uh, had a recurrence of that. But yeah, he came on as a sub in Juve's uh, 3-2 win over Torino last night. I said that would be a good game and it turned out to be a good game. Um yeah, happy enough with that one. Uh, Cremonese beat Roma last night in Serie A, which uh, was notable because they hadn't won a game all season. But now they have, and now they're no longer bottom of the Serie A table. Uh, so congrats to them for that. Still unlikely to remain in the division, but yeah, that was, that was decent. Um, that's it. That's all I've got. I'll do the gossip and we'll be done for today. Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag wants to make at least two significant signings this summer with Mohamed Kudus and Victor Osman among his targets. 
Frankie de Jong also remains a target for the summer. Manchester United's takeover could be delayed as the Glazers want a higher fee of six billion. Uh, Manchester United's takeover might not happen because the Glazers want a fee of six billion or because they don't actually want to sell. Chelsea are interested in, in replacing Graham Potter with Roberto De Zerbi. Um, it's Football Insider. It's Fraser, Fraser Fletcher, who is another spoofer. So yeah, we're not having any piece of that. Manchester City are considering a move for Mateo Kovacic in the summer. He'd be a great signing for them. He'd be a great signing for anybody. The issue with him is keeping him fit, but he's a phenomenal midfielder. Uh, Chelsea's England left back Ben Chilwell is another city target for the summer. Uh, again, not really buying that one. It's Peter Rourke, so we put that firmly in the bin. Vito Rocca says he's ready to join Barcelona. It's not great news if you're Arsenal. Um, because he's at the target apparently for, for the Gunners. <clears throat> Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig are interested in signing Naby Keita in the summer. I'd imagine there'll be a lot of interest in Naby Keita. Atletico Madrid have agreed terms with Cagliostro. That happened about two months ago. Napoli are planning to fend off interest for Kivice Kvaratskhelia by doubling the 22-year-old's salary and extending his contract till 2028. You might want to triple that thing because uh, he is phenomenally good. Atletico Madrid have held talks with Adama Traore. I can't think of many players who are less Diego Simeone than Adama Traore, but it could be fun. Wolves are following the progress of Vinicius Sosa, who is on loan at Espanyol from Belgian club Lommel SK. Uh, okay, fair enough. Alexis McAllister's father, who is also his agent, was a club guest at Liverpool's recent game against Real Madrid. Uh, the Reds are looking at the Argentine midfielder, as well as Mason Mount and Jude Bellingham and a bunch of others. Yeah. Real Madrid's main targets this summer are Bellingham and Josco Gvardiol. So, nice cheap summer for Real then. Angolo Kante had options to leave Chelsea on a free transfer this summer, but he wants to stay in as close to agreeing a new contract. He's not going to get the same kind of money elsewhere. But yeah, Kante loves Chelsea. He loves life in London. He loves the community that he's got. And he's very, very happy, so why would he leave? And I, To be honest, in fairness, if Chelsea offered him pennies, he'd probably stay, because I don't think Kante cares much about the money. Uh, Scotland left back Kieran Tierney is open to move to Arsenal and uh, move to Newcastle, so that's fine. Uh, Everton manager Sean Dyche is open to extending a clause in Abdoulaye Ducouré's contract by another twelve months. I think that's pretty um, a pretty good move because he's been good since Dyche came in. Aston Villa and and Nottingham Forest are monitoring Hull City defender Jacob Greaves. Brentford are also credited with interest. Brentford is the right move for him. I think he'd be a really good get for them. Scottish defender Max Johnson is ready to leave Motherwell as a free agent at the end of the season with Sheffield United and Bologna interested in signing him. Hull are close to signing on-loan English midfielder Javier Simmons on a permanent deal from Xavier, Xavier Simmons. Xavier Simmons on a Xavier Simons, yeah, Xavier Simons on a permanent deal from Chelsea. Uh, they're not close to doing anything, anything because the transfer market was closed. But yeah, they're probably in talks over a deal. Uh, Ex-Chelsea and Manchester United striker Radamel Falco has a contract with Rio Vallecano until June, but is considering an option, an offer for Malaysian champions Johor Darul Tazim. Never heard of them. <laughs> Never heard of them. Uh, I hope he doesn't do that. That's just a money grab. Uh, Tottenham Chief Scout Jeff Vettier has left the club after he revealed potential transfer targets, including Nationals 22-year-old Kevin Meir during an interview with Colombian TV. That seems bizarre. Chelsea are considering a move for Alexander Mitrovic. That would be a very Chelsea thing to do. 
was Craig Hope that wrote this piece. So, um, Tottenham scout Jeff Vettier resigns after infuriating his employers by revealing transfer targets on Colombian TV having only been appointed by Fabio Paratici in September. Uh, he left the club after enraging club directors. He revealed that Spurs were targeting Kevin Mayer. Fatir's conduct was deemed to be unprofessional by the board. Well, that's not great. That's not great. That's not going to give his, uh, his chances of future employment or do his chance of future employment much good. He'd been out of work since being sacked as Birmingham's director of football in 2018, but his close relationship with Paratici saw him land a key role at Tottenham. So he was out of work for four years, and Spurs thought, oh yeah, we'll, we'll get this full in. Because Paratici's a gormless fool. Uh, he's from Luton, came to prominence in 2008 when he joined Newcastle from Real Madrid. Uh, as technical coordinator, a position he previously held at West Ham. He was later chief scout at Aston Villa under Gerard Houllier, but left after only three, three months to join Charlton. His time at Newcastle was controversial, and his presence, along with that of director of football Ke- uh, Dennis Wise, contributed to Kevin Keegan quitting his boss following the signing of players he claimed to know nothing about. Keegan was later awarded two million for constructive dismissal by an independent tribunal panel. Uh, meanwhile, Spurs are said to be restructured, blah, blah, blah. Hey, this fella sounds like he's a mental career. Um, that's kind of funny. That's that's funny. We'll leave it at that. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.